So every August, uh, our church, we do a, a series called uh, About Our Vision. Uh, our, our mission is to grow followers of Jesus Christ through worship, through community, and through service. And so every August, we come back around this idea. We, we call it revision, remission. We come back around this idea again. And uh, uh, I, get, I need to put a disclaimer on today's teaching. Uh, today's teaching is going to sting a little. Is that okay? Can you be tough? This one's coming right between the eyes, but, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to come kind of that way at the end. So, so I just want you to, to, to make yourself ready. Be ready. You got this. Nothing I don't think you can't handle, all right? A couple of weeks ago when we started this series, we talked about the idea of can openers. And, and is a can opener still a can opener if, if it doesn't open cans? And, and we talked about this idea of, of churches that, that aren't making disciples. And if a church isn't fulfilling its mission of growing followers of Jesus Christ, is it still really a church? And we talked about this idea of 70% of Nashville Metro don't have a faith or aren't living their faith out in, in some meaningful way. More than a million people in our immediate area are, aren't participating in any kind of, kind of real faith life. They may check a box that says, I'm a Christian, but it, but it pretty much ends there. And, and if every person in our area were, were to come to church on a Sunday morning, just, just hypothetically, not that that would even represent the fullness kind of, of kind of faith that we've been talking about, but if every person in the Nashville metro area came to a church, our church and every church would have to have seven services just to accommodate. So we, we begin to get a scope of this mission, and we turn to John chapter 10 and looked at this incredible teaching of Jesus about the good shepherd. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the gate. Not as, a, as, a, as, as just defining our relationship to God, but, but as an example to follow, as, as a missional guide. And we talked about hearing the voice of the shepherd and, and challenging uh, uh, each of us, each of you, to recognize the voice of God in your own life. And to help others recognize that voice in theirs. And, and to practice detoxing from the noise around us. So that we can hear him communicate and speak to us. So that we can know who to follow. Two weeks ago, we talked about this idea of, of pastoring. We talked about this word. Uh, this word pastor is the word shepherd. It, it means literally to take out into the field. To, to set to grazing. And we looked at Psalm 23. This beloved psalm about still waters and, and protection and all of this, not a, again, not just as defining our relationship with God, but as a to-do list. Like maybe our role is to lead others by still waters, to, to pastor others as we have been pastored. And then last week we talked still out, still out of John chapter 10 about this idea. Jesus says, I know my own sheep and they know me. And that word know is the word gnosko. Do you remember this? And gnosko is not some kind of, of comprehension, but gnosko is this deeply experiential knowledge, much different than, than head knowledge. And, and we, we've talked about and kind of confessed as, as a church, the sin of the church is to, to make the message of God boring or to fill people with information about God while never letting him, them really, really know him. So we talked about making an investment in learning, an investment in time and intention, but to really know God it is about intimacy. And how can we, we help others come into an intimacy with Christ, as Jesus said, to make Him known. 
So you get a picture of our mission, this idea of remission of who we are and kind of what we've been digging into. Uh, we actually feel like we're on a mission from God. We're putting the band back together to get away. We're on a mission from God. Matt, me and Elwood, put the band back together. Ma'am, you got to understand that this is a lot bigger than any domestic problems you might be experiencing. Would it make you feel any better if you knew that what we're asking Matt here to do is a holy thing? You see, we're on a mission from God. First you drink a Cadillac for a microphone. Then you lie to me about the band. Now you're gonna put me right back in the joint. They're not gonna catch us. We're on a mission from God. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Lord works in mysterious ways. Yep. All right, so I think that's funny. I, I don't know. Like, that is just, I guarantee you go to any church in Nashville, that is not being played today. It's only here. We are the original. We're the only ones. So as we conclude this remission series, talking about this being on a mission for God, um, clearly the most obvious place for us to start is to start by talking about Hanukkah. So, what I know about Hanukkah uh, uh, almost is entirely learned from an Adam Sandler song. Do you guys know this song? We love Hanukkah. All right, and so you're going to have to bear with me. I'm speaking to you as a student of Hanukkah, not as a, not as a professor, as an expert. And I even, uh, on Amazon ordered a Hanukkah starter kit. I really did. So uh, it, it has some essential elements in here. And we're going to set this up. Amy, I may get you to come help me here for a second. Um, the most essential element of a Hanukkah celebration is the menorah. That's right. A menorah is uh, basically a, a candle holder. And it has uh, nine slots, but really it celebrates eight. And we'll talk about that meaning here in a second. So, Amy, I'm going to give you some, some candles. The white one is going to go in the middle, and then the other colored ones. Or, yeah, do what it says on the box, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it also came uh, with uh, dreidels. Do any of you know how to play the game dreidel? You really do? You know how to play? All right, so I'll give you a dreidel. There we go. Um, the Jews kind of j joke about it being a kind of gambling. Here you go. Learn how to play. Um, anyone else from this side want to learn how to play dreidel? All right, Lily, here you go. You have your very own dreidel as a part of our startup kit. And Amy, you can go ahead. When you get that done, you can go ahead and light those. All right, so how much do you know about Hanukkah? How many of you just learned about Hanukkah? The story of Hanukkah uh, starts with a villain. It starts with a bad guy. Uh, about 175 years before, uh, before Jesus' birth, there was this, 
this Syrian ruler named Antiochus. And I think we have a, uh, there's a bust of him. There he is. He looks evil, doesn't he? Antiochus was a madman. Really. Uh, uh, I, I would say he was worse than Hitler. Uh, he was this, this horrible, terrifying character. And Antiochus, this Syrian ruler, set out to completely demolish, destruct, destroy Judaism. He outlawed all of the Jewish laws. He made it illegal for Jews to celebrate the Sabbath. Uh, he made circumcision illegal. And he committed some, some incredible, incredible atrocities. So there, at the time, there was this high priest named Eleazar. He was 90 years old, this high priest in the Jewish temple. And when Antiochus came in and was forcing everyone out of Judaism, he tried to force Eleazar to eat pork in front of all of the people, right? And when Eleazar, 90-year-old, refused, he murdered him in front of everyone, in a scene straight out of Braveheart, just to give you a, a full picture of, of how anti-Semitic uh, anti Antiochus was. Um, in a scene straight out of Braveheart, he made a law that said any Jewish maiden who wants to get married must first spend a night with the local magistrate or governor. This was a full affront on Judaism. And maybe the worst crime that he committed was Antiochus took his army, took his soldiers, and they raided Jerusalem and they took control of the temple, the Holy of Holies. And in the fight for faith, thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews were killed. And in the middle of this, this revolt, there were some Jews that stood up and fought and resisted Antiochus. There was this one guy named uh, uh, Matthias, um, he and his son stood up in, in, in resistance. They began to guerrilla warfare against Antiochus, essentially. And when Matthias dies in one of these battles, he names his youngest son, Judah Maccabeus, uh, also known as Judah the Hammer, true, true story, as his successor. And Judah the Hammer becomes this awesome fighter for the faith. He becomes this awesome fighter for for Judaism, and he goes up against Antiochus's armies, and he reclaims Jerusalem, and he reclaims the temple. And after they get the temple, Antiochus comes and tries to take it back, and Antiochus sends three waves of armies, each progressively larger than the last. And with the leadership of the hammer, the Jews defend the temple against the attacks. They prevail even, even against an incredible odds. They reclaim the temple of God. Now when they come in and they look at the temple, they're in horror. Because it wasn't as if Antiochus just took control of the temple. No, he defiled it in every conceivable way he could. You guys remember the Old Testament, the holy holies and the outer courts, and you guys remember some of this. This sacred, holy place of God has been defiled. Antiochus, while he had control of the temple, actually set up an altar, an idol of Zeus in the Holy of Holies. 
He took the, the, the altar, that, that, the place of sacrifice, and he sacrificed pigs on it, which is a Jewish no-no. And so when the hammer reclaims the temple, they need to, to invest in this kind of cleansing, sanctifying process to, to rededicate the temple again. At this time, the menorah, the, the beautiful golden menorah in the temple that represents kind of the light of God with his people has been stolen. And, and so they, they craft this wooden menorah. This, this, uh, so if your friends are Jewish and they have these big elaborate menorahs, that's not, that's not how it happened. It was this wooden, very plain menorah. But they needed oil to light it, to, to keep it burning. They needed uh, at least eight days to kind of cleanse and sanctify the temple again. But when they looked, all of the oil had been profaned except for one day's worth. This is the part of the story you may be familiar with, right? And this one day's worth of oil miraculously burns for how long? For eight days. And so today, even uh, uh, later this year, November and December, uh, I guess in December, you'll see Jews set out the menorahs, and on the first day, it's an eight-day celebration of, of Hanukkah on the first day. They'll light the first candle, and then the second, and then the third, to remember the, the, uh, the eight-day miracle of the oil, but also to remember the, the, the incredible battles that the, that the hammer won, and the rescue of God's people, and the rededication of the temple. They celebrate by, like I said, lighting the menorah, playing, playing dreidel, reciting blessings. Uh, they even eat uh, uh, lots of fried foods, uh, these things called latkes, which is kind of like a hash brown kind of, kind of thing. Uh, it's, they're really good. I didn't bring any today, sorry. Um, but this became a celebration that they did every year. And during this festival of Hanukkah, Hanukkah actually means dedication. During this festival, all of the people, including the priest, examined their commitment to God. They re-examined their commitment to serve Him. So, everything's clear as mud now, right? I know you're thinking, why are you talking to us about Hanukkah? Um, and if you look in John chapter 10, verse 22, here's why. The whole context of the good shepherd motif, the good shepherd thing that we've been talking about, this great teaching of Jesus, happens here. Then came the festival of what? Dedication, but what's, what is, what's the word? Hanukkah at Jerusalem, and it was winter. So here we have Jesus. Uh, Jesus was a Jew. Do you guys know this? Uh, just, just free pass. Any of you want to celebrate Hanukkah? Totally biblical. Totally scriptural. Uh, and, and would be an awesome, good idea. Plus you get to eat latkes. So there you go. Uh, but this passage where, uh, of mentioning Hanukkah, it's the only place in the New Testament it's mentioned. But, but we know Jesus was a Jew. We know he practiced and participated in the feast and the festivals of, uh, of Judaism. And while he is actually standing in the temple, the exact same place that the hammer came in, you remember that story? The hammer came in and cleansed and purified that while Jesus is standing in that exact place, 
same temple. People are lighting menorahs. They're, they're playing the dreidel. In this great context of rededication, in this great time where all of the Jews come and, and practice a, a kind of remission, practice a kind of re-examining their commitment to God. Like, like the priest at the temple Jesus uses the good shepherd discourse. This is, this is the context of all of the teaching about the good shepherd to, to talk about a whole new kind of commitment. To challenge and, and call the people to a whole new kind of mission. He does that by comparing two different kinds of commitment. In John chapter 10, a little bit earlier in this discourse, in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 13, he compares two kinds of commitment. Here, see if you can identify the two. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid, lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away when then the wolf attacks the flock and, and, and it, then the wolf attacks the flock and it's scattered. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Let's talk about this hired hand first. He sees this hired hand as a kind of commitment. And around Hanukkah, around this time of dedication, one of the passages they use is Ezekiel 34, where it talks about shepherds who aren't being good shepherds. Who, who aren't being shepherds at all. And it uses language of, well, they chose to feed themselves instead of their flock. And when their flock is scattered, they don't go and look for them. And when danger comes, they protect only themselves. You get the idea about the kind of commitment a hired hand has. Are you with me? But there is another kind of commitment. A kind that Jesus himself is going to lay down the example. Go ahead and put that next slide up here. In verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd is different from the hired hand because he lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I gnosko my sheep and my sheep gnosko me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's a whole different kind of commitment, isn't it? Man, the wolf comes, the hired hand is like, not my business. Sorry about your luck. But the shepherd says, no, I will take any fight. I will go to any extreme. I love uh, some of the writings of Lynn Anderson related to this. He says, in ancient times, shepherds did not find their employment through help wanted ads. That was the hireling way. Whereas shepherding was a way of life, not merely a job to be done. In the Bible, a shepherd lived in the pasture and nurtured a lifelong trust relationship with some sheep. For a newborn lamb, the, the touch of a shepherd's hand was among its first conscious sensations. The voice of a shepherd among the first sounds the lamb would hear. Gradually, lambs came to associate those hands and that voice with green pastures and still waters. Are you with me? They grew to trust and follow their own good shepherd. 
And you see, shepherding is, is, was, was never, even today in our churches, we get this upside down sometimes, shepherding was, was never about an authority figure or a manager or a sergeant or a CEO. Shepherding is, is a role, not an office. It's a relationship, not a physician. A good shepherd is, is an owner, uh, has, has incredible, sees incredible value in the care of his sheep. Remember what the liar, the liar comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I came so you would have life and have it to the full. That's the shepherd's role. I know my own sheep and they know me have this long-term, this kind of, the, the good shepherd, this kind of commitment has a legacy kind of mindset to it. But what makes the good shepherd different, the, the number one thing between a hireling and a good shepherd is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Out of the the stories of Hanukkah around the time of, of Antiochus as he was pushing his kind of anti-Semitic agenda, there emerges this story about a woman named Hannah and her seven sons. Hannah and her sons were, were brought bo before Antiochus because they refused to stop studying the Torah. They, were, they continued to keep the dietary laws. They, they continued to honor the Sabbath. And Antiochus found out about them and brought Hannah and her seven sons before him and demanded that they bow down to an idol. Hannah's eldest son, the oldest of the seven, stepped forward and said, What do you wish from us? We are ready to die rather than transgress the laws of our fathers. And Antiochus, as the, as the really like, calm, rational, reasonable guy he was, had the eldest son's tongue cut out and his hands cut off and threw him into a, uh, into a pot of uh, a cauldron of boiling water in front of his other sons, in front of his brothers and mother. And then he called the next son up, the, the sixth son, and asked him again to bow before the idol. And this son, like the first, refuses. And similarly, he's tortured and killed. And it goes all the way down the line. The seventh son, the sixth son, the fifth son, the fourth son, the third son, the second son. And finally, we get to the youngest son. And at this point in time, even the, the cruel and hateful and evil Antiochus is begging the son to just bow before the idol. Just do it. I'll give you money. I'll give you anything you want. Uh, even Antiochus is breaking. He, even Antiochus doesn't want to see this happen. And Hannah comes, the mother who has seen her six eldest children die, her six eldest son. She comes and says to her youngest son, My son, I carried you for nine months, nourished you for two years, and have provided you with everything until now. Look upon the heaven and the earth, God is the creator of it all. Do not fear this tormentor, but be worthy of being with your brothers. And just like his six eldest brothers, he's tortured and killed. 
Hannah, the mother who's watched all seven sons die in front of her, is weeping on the floor. And she just asks, as the story, the legend goes, as she cradled the bodies of her, her dead children, she just says a simple prayer asking, uh, uh, asking to die to be with them, asking to die to be worthy to be with them. And it says that she lays down on her youngest son, closes her eyes, and dies. At the time of Antiochus, there were thousands of Jews, men and women, who were willing to sacrifice everything to keep their faith. Under, under threat of, of torture and punishment and death. They were willing to give their lives. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd because it doesn't matter what comes, I will lay my life down for you. That's the story of the cross, right? That's the story of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He came and died for us. The story of Jesus is a story of, of a good shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to find the one lost sheep. This makes no sense, right? Uh, a, a, a 99 birds in the hand is better than, than two in the bush. I don't know how that works, but Jesus leaves the, the 99 to go find the one. You know this story. The, the, the good shepherd is going to leave the 99 sheep that are found and good and safe, and go and search for the one. That makes no sense, does it? Unless that sheep has a name. Unless it's not just another sheep. Unless that sheep, the very first touch, was the hands of the good shepherd. You, are, you, are you starting to follow with me? That sheep was, we talked a little bit about this idea of transcendence last week. That, that sheep isn't just a sheep anymore, but it's been elevated to a completely different level. And now there is a whole different kind of value placed on that sheep. That, that he would risk anything and everything, not just for that one sheep, but for every one of those sheep. It is an incredible commitment of an owner it is the way of sacrifice. So let's talk about the future. Jesus gives us an example, remember, in this whole context of dedication, right? In the whole celebration of Hanukkah, with all the stories of Hanukkah and all the memories of Hanukkah and, and everything related to it. Jesus says, you know, there's, there's really two kinds of commitment. There's a hireling kind, and an owner kind. What kind of commitment are you making? When we think about the future, what is the destiny of any organization built on a hireling mindset? What do you think? What's, the, what's, the, the, what's going to happen to an organization that's filled with workers that are just 
hirelings whose whose DNA is I'm going to get mine. I'm not worried about anybody else. Whose whose DNA is looking to be served rather than to serve. Whose DNA is seeks only personal gain or satisfaction. Uh, what's what's the destiny of an organization uh, uh, built on this kind of mindset that that checks out at the first kind of struggle that checks out at the first kind of difficulty. You know, if this is the business that you're a part of, what does your future look like? If, if this is, is your marriage, what, what's the future of your marriage look like? If one spouse is there just to get what they can and get their needs met and just to be fulfilled, and when something difficult comes up, do you see marriages like this today? What's the destination of a church built on a hireling mindset? You see this in churches today, some? Big question. Is this just a job to you? see how Jesus draws that out in the whole context of Hanukkah and dedication? Like, like are, are you just kind of sticking your toe in the water? Is this kind of a every, uh, every now and then? Or has God called you to something greater? Has God called you to be an owner not a hireling? Has God called you to, to be the one willing to pay the price to change our culture? It is so easy for us to send a Facebook message or a Twitter or an email and complain about our culture, right? But it takes a whole other level of commitment that says, yes, that's what it is, but I believe we can change that. It's a whole other, has God called you to, to something greater, to, to carry out, out the mission despite the circumstances? Oh, things are going to get tougher. Oh, it's going to take extra time out of my schedule. Oh, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me. It's going to cost me. But, but you're willing to step into that despite the circumstances, despite what comes, despite what happens. Has God called you to something greater, to, to make faith and life with Him your one and only occupation? above family, above schedule, above athletics. And I know we live in Tennessee and that's a big deal. But has God called you to, to make this your one and only thing, even above your own self? God called you to something greater, to shepherd and pastor those around you to love others, to care for others. Even more than yourself. Scripture says that Jesus had compassion on the people because they were like sheep without a good shepherd. Is that you? 
are you so angry at the sinfulness and, and wickedness of our, of our culture that you don't have time to be compassionate? Because that is not the example of the Good Shepherd. I think God is calling you and calling me, calling all of us to something greater. I think He's calling you. I think our mission is to put your life on the line, to pay any price, like Hannah, like, like Jesus, to see His will be done, His kingdom come. If you look in uh, Romans chapter 12, I know you guys know this. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because, all, because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy. What's the word? A living and holy sacrifice. The kind He will find acceptable. And it says, This is truly the way to worship. I think God is calling us to something greater. To, to a legacy. To a lifelong mission. He's calling us to grow followers of Jesus Christ. In just a few moments, we're going we're gonna to enter into a time of communion and it's something we do every week. It, it's part of our tradition. One of the things we love. We have, we have tables set up around the room. And I invite you, uh, after I say this prayer, to go to those tables to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, His body and blood broken and poured out for us so that our sins would be forgiven. The sacrifice of the Good Shepherd for us. But I also I invite you to a time of Hanukkah. I invite you to a time of rededication to dedicate yourself again, to examine your level of commitment. After the temple had been defiled by Antiochus, the Jews led by Judas, uh, Judah the hammer, Maccabeus, came in and cleansed it of every impurity. And you've been cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's happened. That you, you, you have received that. All of us who have accepted Christ are cleansed from all of those impurities, from every sin. And now in return, will you dedicate yourself to Him? Dedicate yourself to His mission for you. Are you here today willing to remission your life to God? To stand before Him, not as a hireling, but as a true follower, a, a shepherd in training. Will you come before Him and willingly surrender every aspect of of your life. If you're like me, you can probably look at Scripture and know a part of Scripture or know a part of the Gospel that, frankly, you're just not doing. You believe it and you've studied it and you hope in some part of your brain, because the way our churches have operated, that if I just study it a little bit more, then one day I'll be able to do it. But the, that's not the reality. The reality of living 
out the gospel, the mission that God has called us to is the desperate need for Jesus Christ to help us and for a willingness to sacrifice ourselves to follow his example. So in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer and I'm going to dismiss you to a time of communion, a time of, of dedication, a time of remembrance. Maybe God's put it on your heart to give your life to him. Maybe you're ready. Maybe you haven't been living up to the kind of commitment. It's easy. It's easy for me to kind of slide into a higher leg mindset. Oh, I'm just here every now and then. What would it look like? What would it look like for you to take on an owner role? What would it look like for you to step deeper into this commitment of God? What, what sacrifice would you make right now, even today? So I challenge you to think about that. If there's ways we can pray for you, maybe, maybe you're ready to make the ultimate sacrifice and give your life to Christ in baptism, then we're, we're here for that as well. And I'm just going to move to the front. And, and uh, if, you, if God's put it on your heart to respond or you just want someone to hug you and love on you and pray for you, then, then I'm here for that too. So let me say a prayer for us and I'll dismiss you. Father God, I thank you so much for uh, this message and for your words. And God, I pray that, that, that this kind of language of the good shepherd would, would re- be bouncing around in our head. And Father God, there's, there's parts in my heart right now that I'm, I'm holding tight to because I don't want to let go to you and I don't know how to let go to you. And, and it'd be easier just to ignore it or shelve it or, or just kind of hope it goes away. And so, Father God, I, I pray that, that if anyone else is feeling that same thing, that, that right now, even in this time, we would dedicate ourselves again to you. We know, Father God, that you've cleansed us of all impurity through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. His sacrifice is sufficient. His sacrifice is enough. It doesn't matter how bad or how dirty or, or what, what it is that we've done. We know that through Jesus, we have been saved. And so, Father God, let us celebrate that salvation by giving our lives to him. By moving as living sacrifices. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and your son, Jesus. Father God, help us to move out of this kind of uh, a weak, hireling commitment and, and grasp on to the, the mission, the vision that you have for this world, for your kingdom to advance. Father, we love you. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, Amen. I invite you to stand and have enjoy a time of communion together.